Welcome, everyone, to the first ever episode of the Generation V podcast. It is so good to have you with us. And with me right now is Nia and Georgie. Hi. How are you guys going? Hello. I'm going pretty good. I had a exciting week. Got Had a nice history excursion to Manly. So that well, was fun. I also had a pretty good week. A little bit stressful with exams, but I mean, every week is always pretty fun in my life. So, yeah. Yeah, well, it's good to be here with you guys. Um, and I'm very excited to get started on working through our uh, our teaching series this term. But before we do, can you guys tell me one thing about yourself that everyone and not everyone knows, um, but it's, it's kind of interesting? Okay. Well, not a lot of people know this, but I really enjoy cooking. Mm. And um, I take food tech as elective at school. And yeah, whenever I have the opportunity, I love to just like bake dinner for my family so yeah I really enjoy cooking. How about you Nia? Well I actually enjoy uh, watching and listening to musicals. Um, one of my particular favorites would have to be Mean Girls. Yes. Enjoy it very much. <laughs> there you go all right. Well one of you like to pray for us and then we'll get stuck in. Yeah sure I can pray. Dear Lord thank you for the idea of this podcast series. Um, I pray that you'll Help us to impact and teach others about your good news. Amen. 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 Uh, before we get stuck in, the Gospels, like, if, you, if you're just opening up your Bible and you're opening up your Bible to Matthew, it, you, it's probably pretty obvious that you're kind of two-thirds of the way through the book already. Uh, and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to start just by summarizing a story of the Old Testament. Um how how familiar are you guys with the Old Testament? Like, do you think you could summarize the whole story of the Old Testament? Um, moderately well, I suppose. Yeah, okay. I'm probably not super good with, right, like, right. Bible passages and stuff. All right. Uh, what's the very first thing that we read about in the Old Testament? The creation of the world and man. Yep. Genesis. Yeah, perfect. So uh, we have Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, and God is kind of ruling alongside Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's great. Um, how long does that last? Decent amount of time. Uh, <laughs> well, yes. not time, but... Uh, how many pages does it last in your Bible? Oh, I have no idea. Less than one? Uh, like, oh, like no, one? he goes on quite a bit. Like it's like two, maybe. Yeah, or two. Okay. Yeah, but it's, it's not very long. It's not very long. And then Adam and Eve proved that they... Like they, they just are incapable of listening to, to God's voice and listening to his kind of instruction for them. Um, and so that kind of situation falls apart. And following that, we have kind of this like a downward spiral of human activity that's all really rebellious and horrible. Um, until we come to the character of Abraham. What about, do you guys know about Abraham? What, what can yeah. you tell me about Abraham? Um, biggest thing I remember from Abraham was when I was in kids' church and we had a song and it was like, Father Abraham had many kids and many kids had Father Abraham. So yeah, that's kind of the thing I remember. Classic. Yeah, I don't yes. remember that song myself, but I've heard it a lot of times. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's a real bop. It's a real bop. <laughs> yeah. mm. uh, God made a promise to Abraham though, right? He made a promise. Uh, he said that you're, uh, it's, you can find it in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. He says, your descendants, uh, he basically says you're going to have lots of kids and that from you, I'm going to make a big family and I'm going to use you to bless all the earth, right? So we've had this kind of story starting from Adam and Eve 
uh, in the garden. And then we've had this kind of downward spiral of humanity doing their own thing. And now God comes in with a plan and his plan comes through Abraham. He's going to get everyone back to this intended state through Abraham. Um, and that's great. Abraham has some kids. Uh, you remember there's Isaac and then there's uh, Jacob and then Jacob has Joseph and Joseph is great, but all the brothers end up in Egypt, right? And they end up in slavery in Egypt. And then, yes, George, what happens I, I, next? I don't quite remember. I just kind of know the story. Yeah, yeah. I this could be really wrong, but I remember watching a movie in kids' church mm-hmm. and I think Jacob like goes to like some desert markets and then he like sees all his slaves. This could be something else. Is that correct? I, I don't, I don't think it is. where that movie's going. Uh, have you <laughs> um, seen that one? I can't say that I have, but, be- but I believe the story is Joseph the Dreamer where yep. he would get dreams and visions from God and all his brothers were jealous of him. Yeah, and yeah. so they sold him to some slave traders. Yep, and yep. he went to Egypt and was thrown in prison at first, mm-hmm. but then worked his way up through the ranks, I suppose, and yeah. ended up aiding the king of Egypt and becoming his second in command. Perfect. Perfect. And so, yeah, so there's a big famine and all of his brothers have no food where they're living. And so they come to Joseph in Egypt and he's able to feed them because of the position that he's got in Pharaoh's courts. And so because of that, this whole Abraham's family, which God has made this promise to, right? He said, you're going to have so many descendants and that your family is going to be a blessing to the nations. This Abraham's family is this, this plan, right? God is using Abraham's family to get everyone back to this Eden state. And they're in Egypt, right? And then, so the book of Exodus starts and like the people are really like enslaved and it's, it's not going well for them. And so what does God do? God raises up Moses, right? To save his people um, out of Egypt. Uh, there is a movie about Moses as well. That's a pretty oh, good yes. movie, pretty popular. The Prince of Egypt? Yeah, that's the one. I think that was the one I was talking about before. That might be the one you were talking <laughs> yeah. about before. But Moses does end up taking his people out of Egypt and he brings them to Mount Sinai. Surely you guys have heard of Mount Sinai before, right? Yes. Yes, I definitely have. Yeah. This is like kind of a pivotal moment. Um, So in the first five books of the Bible, which are really like the core of the Old Testament, um, half of them are spent at Mount Sinai. So you have like, Genesis through to Exodus 19, they moving towards Mount Sinai and then spend from Exodus 19 all the way to the end of Exodus, then all of the book of Leviticus, then half of the book of Numbers, they're, in, they're at Mount Sinai and then they finally leave. And so this is a really pivotal moment. But at that moment, God says to Israel, he says, you will be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. So God is again calling Israel and he's saying, you guys are my solution to the problem. Um, is this making sense so far? Yes. This kind of is. broader story yep. of the Old Testament. Okay. So eventually the people find themselves in uh, Israel um, and they get a king. The first king is David. You guys remember the, uh, some stories about David? Yep. David and Goliath. Yeah, yeah. That's one yep. of the big hits. He slays Goliath with a slingshot. Yeah, of and course. And becomes king. Yeah. 
Um, it, he becomes king like a little bit later. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it takes him the whole book of First Samuel to make it onto the throne. Um, but yes, he eventually does become king and he is like, he's really a good king. And so then we have the establishment of God's kingdom in a sense, right? Because God is kind of in charge and he has David on his throne as kind of his representative and all of his people, they're like, they're in the promised land, the place that God promised them and God's presence is among them, right? They have the temple and right in the middle of the temple, you have like this fiery presence of God and everything is great except like how did the kings go in Israel all the descendants after David they were went from good to not so good yeah pretty rapidly they they mess everything up Uh, and because of that we end up with Israel God's plan to restore the world and they get conquered and they end up in exile. Um, all the people get led away from the land. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. And that's kind of like the cliffhanger, which the Old Testament ends on, right? So the whole story of the Old Testament is God's plan to restore the whole world is coming through this nation. And they're, they're doing it. It looks okay for a moment. And then everything falls apart and they find themselves in exile. And that's the tension of the Old Testament. And that's what brings us to our passage today. Shall we read? Yes, we shall. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding region. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to bring God news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favourable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. Now he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the people were speaking well of him, and admiring the gracious words which were coming from his lips. And yet they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? So, before we kind of launch into a discussion of what exactly is happening in this passage... Uh, let's just kind of talk about like what it even means to be like reading from one of these gospels. So we've got four different gospels, right? They're all sitting at the start of our new Testament. We've got Matthew and Mark and Luke and then John. Why, why do we have four gospels? Is that a question that's occurred to you guys? Well, each gospel tells a different aspect about Jesus's life with different emphasis on different parts. For example, uh, some focus more on the miracles that Jesus performed. Yeah, I sort of agree with Nia, but I was just thought of it as um, each uh, gospel was just trying to show like almost a new miracle that Jesus has performed. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And that's, yeah, that's definitely all true. Um, one of the challenges about having these four different gospels is um, how do they relate to each other? Like, how do we, how do we understand um, the things that we read in Mark compared to the things that we read in Luke uh, and that kind of question. So if you kind of like put all your gospels side by side, you'll notice there are some striking similarities between um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Some things where they've almost like copied word for word what each other have said. My lecturer put it in an amusing way when he said that um, uh, if Matthew, Mark, and Luke had submitted their Gospels in assi- as an assignment, um, one of them would be done for plagiarism. Um, and so how do, we kind of, how do we kind of deal with this problem of these passages that are really similar? And so kind of the, the position that most scholars take is that Mark was the first gospel and that Matthew and Luke um, both had access to, to a copy of Mark's gospel when they were writing their own gospel. And so they drew heavily on, on the things that he wrote uh, when putting together their own gospel. And we can actually see that playing out in this passage. So uh, let's read kind of like the corresponding section from Mark's gospel. Do you want to uh, read for us, Neil? Yep. Sure. Now, after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay. So like I said, these are kind of like positioned in the same spot, right? But these passages are very different. Like one of them is much, much, much shorter than the other. And it seems like the content might be a little different as well, right? Like... The passage we just read from Luke, it doesn't really talk about the the kingdom of God or the gospel or things like that. So the question is like why 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 are these two like things placed in the same spot? Does that make sense? This like like why why do we why are we in this this place where these two these two stories are kind of used in the same way in each different gospel? I honestly don't know. <laughs> no, that that's that's uh, that's totally fine. Um, because like it is it is confusing. Sometimes they're kind of quoting word for word, and sometimes uh, there's big sections that are different. Um, and so here, let's take let's take a little look at um, what it means for Mark to say the kingdom of God is at hand, and why that is good news. So. Um, in our summary of the Old Testament, right, we saw the kingdom of God. Yeah? Remember, under David, we saw the kingdom of God, and that had kind of like, that had kind of like God was ruling over the people with his representative, David, um, and the people were in the promised land, and God's presence was among them in the temple, right? And so when Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. He's saying like, you guys know you've been in exile, but now the kingdom of God is coming back and the plan is getting back on track. Well, it's kind of similar to your um, understanding of it, but um, yeah, God's just trying to tell the people that were in exile that he is back and he will never leave you. And um, that like, uh, I kind of like interpret it as like, God's almost trying to say to the people, like, don't ever stop believing in me because I am always here. 
sort of thing. That's how I kind of interpret it, interpret it. Yeah, that's all. That's all very true. That's all very true. And so, yeah, we have this. We have this, this section which is the kingdom of God is at hand. And so, like, if we compare that to what we read in, um, in Luke's gospel, instead of Jesus just saying the kingdom of God is at hand, we have this quotation from Isaiah, right? This big block quotation: "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has," and then it keeps going. It seems like whatever Luke is doing with this Isaiah quotation, it's the same as what Mark is doing by saying the kingdom of God is at hand. So let's take a look at that Isaiah quotation, and then after that, we'll come and we'll come and put it back in its context in Luke. Isaiah. If, you, if you're reading through the New Testament, you're coming across Isaiah like all the time. For example, putting this podcast series together, I think I've already seen like four or five quotations in just the, the two sections from Isaiah. It's like, it's really, it's really central. But where does like this spot fit into the story? Do either of you guys know who Isaiah is? I don't really know. Okay. Um, uh, I know that he was a very renowned prophet of the mm-hmm. Lord. That's definitely true. Yeah. So Isaiah's book is credited to um, Isaiah, the son, the son of Amos. And based on the little reference it has at the start, we can put it uh, in roughly the 8th century BC um, in Jerusalem. Uh, but the book is actually kind of in some senses divided into two. And there's a second half of Isaiah starting from about chapter 40, um, which is often called Deutero-Isaiah, which it's called that way because it seems like it was written by another author a little bit later on. So in the, in the eighth century, they were still, the kingdom of God was still like happening here and now, and they hadn't yet been sent out into exile. But we have Deutero-Isaiah, which seems to be written by someone maybe from like like the disciples of Isaiah a little bit later from within exile, writing about the promises of God's restoration. And that's where this passage is from. Does that make sense? So we've got Isaiah and we've got Deutero-Isaiah. Yeah. Uh, now that we kind of understand that context, right, which is we're in, we're in exile and we're looking forward to not being in exile, let's take a look at this passage. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks and foreigners will be your farmers and vine dressers. But you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations. You will boast in their riches. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. 
Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offering, and I will faithfully give them their reward and make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom puts on a turban and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth produces its sprouts and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will call righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Georgie, just listening to that, what what did you hear? Okay. I like kind of got like the message of hope and God's mm-hmm. trying to almost like restore the people and just let them know that like he is still here and he is going to fix all of these things sort of. Yeah. I guess that's kind of what yeah, I got yeah, from it. Definitely. But there's kind of like a a pretty specific hope there. So we have in, in verse four, then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities. Um, what like specifically is God referring to? I think that God is referring to repairing the city of Israel. Yeah, um, yeah Jerusalem. From exile. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We have this, this passage, which is like a, a prophecy about the return from exile um, specifically. And, and here, our authors in the New Testament are quoting it about Jesus. So Jesus is this one whom the spirit of the Lord has anointed and he is coming to announce that the people are coming out of exile. Yeah. One verse that, or part of the verse that sticks out to me is in verse eight, for I, the Lord love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offering and I will faithfully give them their reward. So that sticks out with me because the Lord understands that there is wrong in the world, but we can trust in him to serve justice because he is a just God. Yeah, and definitely. In this context, it's sort of saying um, all the people that have done wrong to Israel will be punished and yeah, yeah, they will yeah, get yeah. their reward in full. I yeah, guess. that was a really important idea for the prophets was that God is a God of justice. And so, yes, he will serve out justice to Israel for all of their sins, but also he is going to serve out justice for all of the nations around Israel for all their sins as well. So this quotation here, let's kind of let's kind of take it back into its context in in Luke. So specifically, we hear that Jesus is speaking in the synagogue, right? Synagogue is a bit of an unusual word. I had uh, one kid at youth ask me when we were talking last night, "Hey, like, what is a synagogue?" And it's it's a fair question. What does that word like? What does it what does it mean to you guys? Um, for me, all I just know is it's a place of worship. That's kind of all I've ever known it to be. Yeah, that's basically what I associate synagogues with too. When I think synagogue, I think 
sort of similar to a church, but uh, a Jewish version, I suppose. So a place of worship for the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's that. Yeah. That's that's like a, a pretty good, pretty good, like level one understanding of what a synagogue is. The really tricky thing is about how the synagogue relates to the temple in Jerusalem. Um, because there's a whole bunch of places in the Old Testament where it talks about um, the temple is kind of like the, the, the licensed place of worship. Like if you're going to offer up sacrifices, you have to come do it at the temple. This is the place where you worship the Lord. And so the synagogue is kind of like, it's not quite a place of worship, it kind of acts as like a a mini temple in some senses, not because they can offer up sacrifice there, but because they can come together and, and talk and, and pray about the Lord. Yeah, so so the, the question is like, what actually happened in a synagogue? And I think we, we would find it pretty familiar. I, I took these notes from the Word Commentary series which is a really uh, insightful commentary series on the Bible that I've, I've really enjoyed reading through. And they note that every week, the whole congregation actually would recite what's called the Shema. Is that is that a word you guys have ever come across before? The Shema? No. Yeah, I haven't heard it before. The Shema. It's, um, it's really important Jewish cultural thing. So it is, it sits in Deuteronomy 6. And it's a passage, you guys are probably familiar with this passage. It says... Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And with all your might. That was probably a very poor quotation, but that's <laughs> that's like the 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 rough gist of it. It's it's at Deuteronomy six, I think, verse four. It's in Deuteronomy six, um, and this is a prayer that they would say like every single day. They would like wake up. They would say the Shema. They would go to work, they would say the Shema. They would come to synagogue and they would all say the Shema together. And it's, it's kind of this, this prayer to remind them of who they are. Um, and then we have uh, somebody else would say another prayer. And then there's a reading from the first five books of the Bible followed by a reading from the prophets. And here in our text, Jesus is coming and he's doing that reading from the prophets. He's reading from Isaiah in the context of this synagogue, this place of worship. Um, and he's announcing God's kingdom um, and a return from exile. The last thing is, so having kind of talked about all of these things, how do you kind of like now understand this passage in Luke? What is Jesus doing and why is it significant? I believe that, well, Jesus is relating the freedom of people from sin mm -hmm. in general to the freedom of the Israelites from mm -hmm. the, like from ex, from exile. Yeah. When the, when the verse in Isaiah was written, they were in exile, which is about that. But Jesus is also relating it to being free from sin. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 But I think like it's even bigger kind of plan than that in the sense that like God's kingdom is his plan to restore all of creation. And so when his kingdom is at hand or back out from exile, the plan is kind of like back on track, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, this is kind of like a really, uh, this is a powerful announcement to the people that are listening. So just sort of a recap. So the context of the quotation from Isaiah in Luke is to restate that God's kingdom is going to be restored and renewed and that we can be a part of that. Yeah. Good news. Yeah. Georgie. Um, similar to Nia, um, that like God, you know, tells Israel that uh, the kingdom is going to be restored. Um, but from passages, I always like to take something away and like um, apply it into my life. So kind of from this, it's that uh, even through like everything that happens with the world, like God is there and um, he will restore our world even when it's so broken and shattered. And so that's what I really yeah. take away from that is it's a great example in the Bible and just because it happened so many yeah. years ago doesn't mean it can't happen today. Yeah. God has always got a plan. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Let's kind of follow on the story from here. So, so in this episode, we've been talking about Jesus' announcement of the kingdom. The next episode is actually, it sits kind of chronologically just before this episode. Uh, we're going to look at these two kind of introductory pieces about the, the lead-in to, to Jesus' ministry. And then... For the next uh, three episodes, we're looking at kind of the core of Jesus' message. So uh, here we have Jesus is preaching in, in and around Galilee, uh, and then he comes to his hometown where he announces that God's kingdom is coming out of exile, and it's, it's at hand. The people hear what he has to say, and they admire him for it. But ultimately, the people in his hometown don't, are not able to receive his message um, and they try to put him to death. Uh, it says just after this that they take him to the edge of the hill, uh, seeking to throw him down before trying to stone him. But Jesus escapes, and he continues going around Galilee uh, teaching. Um, and that's kind of where we're going to pick up in a couple of episodes' time with the, the core of Jesus' ministry. Seems good. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you that for having wonderful. us. Yeah, no thank you. I'll be seeing you all before too long. Thank you.